Acts chapter 4. Hungry for the Word of God. As we worked through most of the chapter last week, or the kind of the middle portion of the chapter, we saw the children of uh, these folks in the church as they were encouraged, as they were filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit moved so much that the place, the Bible says, that they were gathered was shaken. What an amazing moving and presence and sensing of God's power in them. And again, as I already said, as a Christian, as a church, I think we ought to be longing for the filling and control and seeing God's Spirit work through us. And just to clarify, this is not the giving of the Spirit. The Spirit had already indwelt them as believers. The Holy Spirit indwells you when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. But this idea of filling of the Spirit is that ongoing power and and control and sense of His presence in our lives. It's not that He leaves us, but sometimes we don't live in the reality of His presence working in and through us. So this filling was just a fresh touch from the Spirit, if I can say it that way. But you know, then there's the rest of life. I think as Christians, we we hunger, we desire for that type of fresh touch. But what does that actually do in your life? Is a filling of the Holy Spirit just something that happens in church on Sunday? And whoo, we're excited and we go out and we're, we're pumped up. But what does the rest of life look like? Here in the last part of Acts chapter 4, and then we're going to bridge over into the beginning of chapter 5, we're going to see some of the results and some of the things that took place as they continued to move forward, as they continued to grow. And there's, you've got some notes. Uh, going to move through some of these points quickly today. But I think there's some wonderful evidences of the Holy Spirit's work demonstrated in this Church, and I want you to see them with me. Acts chapter 4, begin reading with me in verse 32. And let's just read through the end of the chapter right now. Acts 4, 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, we can say Joseph, it's the same name who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Lord, help us now as we look at your word together. Work in us and challenge us by your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First part of chapter 4, we see... Peter and John being threatened because they were out preaching the gospel. They claimed that this man, this lame man who had been healed, they claimed that it had been done through the power of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. The religious leaders did not like that at all. 
It wasn't just a claim. This was the truth, right? It, it, Jesus is the one that gives us power to be able to do anything. It is only by God that we can hope to have any strength whatsoever. But the religious leaders didn't like this, and so they threatened them. They told them to stop preaching. And so Peter and John came back, and they reported to the rest of the believers. And if you remember last week, right, the believers gathered together. They heard what had taken place. They cried out to God. They remembered God's work. They remembered God's power, and they asked God to help them through the difficulty. And God came and moved in a powerful way, and they experienced and saw the filling of the Holy Spirit. And they went out, and what did they do? They preached the Word. They went out and preached with boldness, right? So it's the Holy Spirit's power that gives us boldness to share the Word of God. So this now is a church. They're going out in boldness. They're sharing the truth. And we see a number of things here that are taking place in this church. I want you to notice the effects of the continued growth in this church. God's blessings were evident. The church was growing. People were being saved. They were experiencing God's blessing even in spite of persecution. The message this morning, though, is not just to the church as a whole. It's to each of us as individuals. Because every body is made up of lots of parts. And as we'll see this morning, while there was great blessing in the body as a whole, when we get to chapter 5, there's some very difficult sin that was going on at the same time. Every part of the body is important. I learned this very clearly a few years ago when I was playing dodgeball with the teenagers. And I dodged and jumped to the side, and something down in the lower part of my back just went the wrong direction. I hobbled off the field, the wounded warrior. The next day, I couldn't get out of bed. I had to crawl. And I thought, this is not good. <laughs> Something's wrong. I had to go visit the friendly neighborhood chiropractor. After several visits, he got me straightened out. You know, it was just one little spot down in there in the spine that just kind of adjusted the wrong way. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, just wait. Right? <laughs> it comes to all of us sooner or later. You know, just a little part of the body can affect the whole thing. So as you hear this message this morning, it'll be easy to listen and say, yeah, this is good. This is what our church needs to hear. But before you take that attitude, I want you to, in your own seat before the Lord, say, God, speak to me this morning. What do I need to hear? Because you're going to hear some things that are really encouraging and exciting, and, and you can look around and see God blessing but we need God to work in each and every one of us. But we're not just here to sit and watch God do something in someone else's life. We need to experience God working in our own life as well. So notice what took place here. Look at verse 32 again. Due to them that believed were of one heart, and of one soul. They were all headed in the same direction. They all had... ...evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit 
when God is moving, people come together and want to get on board with what He's doing. And that's an exciting thing. If you see a, a place where there's great disunity, it's a place that is in desperate need of the work of the Spirit. If you find yourself always at odds with everybody around you, you need to be praying for God to straighten you out. If there's something in my life, God, show me. As my pastor growing up used to say, if everyone's rubbing you the wrong way, perhaps you need to turn the cat around. (laughs) You're the cat, you know. (laughs) Maybe you need to turn around. Now listen, I realize other people bring things that cause struggle for us. So I understand not every problem starts and ends with me. But the only problems I can actually do anything about are the ones in here. You know, you can't come to church this morning. I can't fix you this morning. Only God can do that. Sitting here this morning, you may hear something, look across and say, boy, I hope that they hear that because they need it. (laughs) They probably do. But so do I and so do you. They were of one heart and of one soul And it says here, this resulted, and neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. They they had such great unity, they were just willing to share with one another. This is not the Bible's endorsement of communism. This is just people sharing and meeting one another's needs. They're just taking care. They see somebody struggling, say, let's come alongside and help them. How can we help this brother? We'll see this described in more detail. I don't want to spend too much time there. Understand this though. A church that is experiencing the filling power of the Holy Spirit is a church that has great unity. Not uniformity. Doesn't mean everybody looks the same. Doesn't mean everybody makes the same amount of money. Doesn't mean everybody has to speak even all the same language as their first language. It doesn't mean that you all live in exactly the same neighborhood or all drive the same kind of car. I'm sure thankful that God didn't make us to be robots. He's not desiring uniformity, right, where everything looks exactly the same, but rather unity. We're headed in the same direction. We're following the same God. We believe in the same word, as Ephesians tells us. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, right, that we're headed in the same place. We see a church. We see individuals who are filled with the Holy Spirit and is demonstrated by great Unity. Number two, if you're taking notes, we see that the filling of the Spirit gives great power to witness. Look at verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, it is God that saves people. I wonder why there are many places, many churches even, some that even get up and and read the Bible and preach from the Bible and yet don't see people saved, don't see people changed. Why is that? Because it takes the Holy Spirit's power to do a work in somebody's life. We can do nothing without Him. You can get up and preach the best message But if it's without the Spirit's power, it does no good. You can read your Bible every day. But if you're not reading with a heart to hear what the Spirit is trying to tell you, it's just another thing. 
God's word is all here. But God's word is used to work on us through the Spirit's power. As he takes his word and he drives it deep into our heart. See, this church that was filled with the Spirit, these people who were serving the Lord faithfully, they experienced God's great power in their witness as they shared of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Sharing Christ with others with a true heart of compassion and doing it in a passionate way, right, where you really care and you're really energetic about it is something that requires the Holy Spirit's power. Have you ever, probably like me, there are days you're like, I know I should be telling people about the Lord. I just don't feel like it today. I just kind of want to fly under the radar. I don't want to deal with the conflict. I don't want to have to answer the questions. I don't want to go through all of the stuff, the, the looks, the stares. What are people going to think? We, we deal with all that stuff, right? We need the Holy Spirit's power in our witness to make it an effective witness. And I love the end of verse 33 because we see, thirdly, the filling of the Holy Spirit gives great grace. Great grace. And great grace was upon them all. You might start to notice a theme this morning that these points have the word great in them. Because here's a church that God is blessing. Here's a church that God is growing. And we see great unity. We see a great power to witness. And now we see great grace. You know what grace is? Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God giving you something and me something that I don't deserve. I don't know how many times, though, I've heard people, uh, what they say or seen how people live their lives, that they act as if they don't need grace. A person who understands God's grace is a thankful person. If you're unthankful, it's because you're forgetting where it all came from in the first place. A person who understands God's grace is a humble person. It's not about me exalting myself and say, look at me. It's about lifting up the name of the Lord. It's only by His grace. You know, we experience God's grace and salvation. If you're here this morning and you're living your life for yourself, the Bible says we were all born in sin and we've all sinned. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there, you cannot get to God on your own. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough for it. You can't buy it. You can't give enough money in the offering to get it. Your parents can't get you there. Even a church can't get you there. It's only through Jesus Christ. And he speaks about God's grace and salvation. In Ephesians 2 and verse 8 when it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. There's that idea of humility. We see thankfulness, the idea that it's a gift. When you receive a gift, the response is thankfulness. I think of Jesus as he, when he was walking on this earth, the Bible tells us of a time when ten lepers came to him. Jesus healed all ten. 
said, go show yourselves to the high priest. That's what the process they went through to make sure the leprosy was gone. But the Bible tells us that only one came back to say thanks to Jesus. This was a man that truly understood and appreciated grace. Don't ever get to the place in your Christian walk where you just say, you know what, I've been doing this so long, I've now become an asset to God. You know, I'm now something. Look at my life. Look at how much I give, how much I serve. Look at what I do in the church. Look at my family. Boy, aren't I a good person? It's only by His grace. Because His grace is not just saving grace, it's also sustaining grace. It's grace for the day to day. The reason you could get up this morning, that's grace. That you drove and your wheels didn't fly off your car and you know nobody hits you on your way to church. That's God's grace. You don't deserve it. The reason we have air to breathe and we can still be meeting in a free country, it's grace. We don't deserve it. God doesn't dole out His grace evenly when it comes to that kind of sustaining grace. There are people today that have to meet in secret. Now, have they not experienced God's grace? Oh, they experience God's grace all the time, but in different ways. See, when God's Spirit is at work, we see God's grace evident. And as we look around, as you look in your own life, don't ever get to the place of pride and say, look what I did. Let's give all the glory to God. It's only by His grace. And great grace was upon them all. The fourth thing we see here that is an evidence of the filling of the Spirit in this church and in these people is that the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit encourages great giving. Great giving. We already touched on this a little bit back in verse 32, but I want you to notice verses 34 through the end of the chapter, verse 37, because in 34 and 35 we have a description of what this giving looked like and how they were doing it. And then verse 36 and 37, we have an example. Barnabas, as one who was giving. So look at 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. People were giving generously. Generous giving, that's a sign of the Spirit at work. Because I don't know about you, I've read all the passages that say we're to give cheerfully and that we're to give according to God's grace, and yet how many times are we stingy givers? Lord loveth a cheerful giver. Like Pastor Clayton would say, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You know, sometimes when you give, and you're like, oh, a little more, it's a big sacrifice. If you'll push on through that, you'll find a place where giving begins to feel good. That's what these people were doing. There was great giving. People were even selling assets so that they had more to give to meet one another's needs. They came and they brought it and placed it at the apostles' feet. And everybody was taken care of. 
Again, we'll see even more from chapter 5. This is not saying that everybody has to go home today and put their house up for sale. And then we're just going to all live in a commune here together, right? Having all things common. Because this was not a requirement. This was just their response to the Spirit at work in their life. They were encouraged. They were motivated. They were excited about what God was doing. And they just wanted to be a part any way that they could. And evidence of the Spirit's filling in your life is giving. If you, like me, at times struggle in your giving, whether it's financial giving, whether it's time giving, you know, some people's money, it's no big deal to give it, but time, ooh. Other people, I have no money, but I'll give time. We need to give of everything that God has given to us. Be faithful in it. The example here of one who was a great giver is Barnabas. You know, Barnabas was not his given name. This was kind of his nickname that the apostles gave him. It's interesting to note that Barnabas here, the the Bible says, which can be interpreted the son of consolation. The word translated Barnabas is the same word that's used in the book of John to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Greek word paraclete. It's not saying that Barnabas was the Holy Spirit. They weren't using the Lord's name in vain in that way. Rather, they were saying, Barnabas is the human embodiment of this work of encouraging, lifting up, helping along, and giving, just like the Holy Spirit is one who encourages, who lifts up. This was a great compliment to Barnabas, to be called Barnabas. His given name was Joseph. Here's this man. He has some money. He's a Levite, the Bible tells us. And he takes and he sells his property and he takes the money and he gives it all to the Lord. He was a great example of one who gave generously. And we'll learn more about Barnabas throughout the book of Acts. But just very briefly, we see Barnabas coming alongside and encouraging Saul, later the Apostle Paul bringing him in and introducing him to the other believers. We see Barnabas going out as a missionary to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We see Barnabas who was willing to take back John Mark and help him even when John Mark struggled in his faith. Barnabas is a great example of somebody who lived. Yes, the church had its struggles, and I'm sure Barnabas did too, but here we see an individual who was living a spirit-filled life. And it was evidenced through his giving. It was evidenced by the fact that they all called him Barnabas. The filling of the Spirit gives great unity, gives great power to witness, gives great grace, encourages great giving. And you know, if that was the end of the message, it'd be kind of like, one of those fun little family movies and the end credits would roll happily ever after. That was the church. That's not where it ends, though. Because chapter 5, verse 1, begins with the word, but. 
All this good stuff is taking place. There's great giving. There's great power. There's great uh, work in the, of the Lord. There's great unity. But, and isn't how that is, how, that's how it is, isn't it, with life? Even in church. You can look around, see all the blessing, exciting things. Understand where God is working, the devil's also trying to get his foot in as well. And he may not come at the churches as a whole. He might just come at one or two people. He's smart. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. You know who the lion goes after? The one on the edge, the one who's weak, the one who's a little behind everybody else, the one who's not as unified with everybody, the one who's not walking in the spirit, the one who's got... Some selfish ambition. Has a personal agenda to get across. And that's who Satan went after in this church. But think about it. I I was doing some thinking on this this week. Ananias and Sapphira, they were there for these other events. They had sat in and heard the blessings of God as they stood up against the persecution. They They were probably in the room when it was shaken. With the Holy Spirit. These were not people who were strangers to the work of the Holy Spirit. But even when the Holy Spirit's at work and God is blessing in a church, this is where I want to really challenge each of you as believers. Know that you can't just sit by and watch God work over there and expect it not to be a problem with your attitude. You've got to be engaged as well. God needs to be at work in each and every one of us to be able to continue to see the blessing that we want to see God doing. We see a great individual responsibility, I think, here of our own personal walk with the Lord. You can't just be around where God is working and expect it to rub off on you and you'll be okay. It takes some intentional walking with the Lord as an individual to be able to experience God's blessing in your life. Verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias. You know what Ananias' name means? It means Jehovah or God is gracious. Great grace was upon them all. Ananias' name means God is gracious. And with Sapphira... Her name means beautiful. Now, these two people, by the way they behaved, did she act in a way that was beautiful? Did he act in a way that said, yes, God is gracious? No. These people with wonderful names that spoke of the goodness and the blessings of God allowed the Holy Spirit, or or, I'm sorry, did not allow the Holy Spirit to direct them and guide them and instead allowed an evil spirit, Satan, to tempt them to sin. I want you to follow along with me carefully, though, because if you stop at the wrong place in this passage, you'll wonder, where was the sin? I don't see a problem. It even looks like, if you don't read the whole context, it looks like Ananias dies and he didn't even do anything wrong. That's why you got to read the rest of the story to understand what the conversation between Peter and Sapphira, to understand 
This was a big problem. They had both conspired together to sin and to lie to God. So follow along with me and make sure you get the whole story. Verse uh, 1 again. Ananias with Sapphira's wife, they sold a possession and kept back part of the price. No sin yet, right? His wife also being privy to it, so his wife knew what was going on, Ananias didn't do this secretly, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Again, if the story stopped here, there's no sin. There was no command that they had to bring it all. This was them giving as, as they wanted to in response to what God had done for them. But Peter said, here's where it kind of goes, whoa, it looks like he's being judged and he hasn't done anything wrong. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? The land, it was yours, right? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Even after it was sold, you had the money to do with whatever you wanted. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Here we start to get a little bit of understanding as to what the sin was. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. What did they lie about? Let's keep reading, because here we see the judgment fall on Ananias, verse 5, and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, notice this, this is where we get some understanding of what the sin was. Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the amounts that were being discussed here. But we can easily understand. Let's say it was $100. They brought in $100 and they gave it. Peter then asked Sapphira, Did you sell the land for $100? She said, Yes. But see, the reality was they had actually sold it for more than that. The problem wasn't that they sold it for more and gave less. The problem was they gave less but presented it as if they had given everything. It was the lie that was the problem. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Now when you read this story of Ananias and Sapphira, I don't know about you, but as we've been going through Acts together, this one just kind of comes out of left field and just slams into you, doesn't it? I mean, up to this point, there's blessing. People are being saved. God's at work. People are even being healed. But Ananias and Sapphira, this is a very important caution right here in the beginnings of the early church. And I think it's a very important caution and warning for every single one of us. 
Because even in the midst of a place where God is at work, the Spirit's filling is evident, Satan is always trying to get his foothold, always trying to bring people down. And that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They listened to Satan. I don't know all that was going on in their mind, but I can imagine some things. They had seen Barnabas. I mean, this guy named Joseph, and he is giving a large amount of money. And people say, oh, look at this Barnabas over here. Look at this encourager. Look at this son of consolation. And maybe Ananias and Sapphira thought, well, We'd like some recognition as well. You know, when you are focused on serving God, you've got to keep your eyes on Him. Whenever we're serving God and then we stop to check over our shoulder, look to the side, just to see if anybody else is paying attention, that's when all of a sudden we fall into trouble. I think that's kind of what happened here. The, the people are serving God. It's exciting. Everything's great. And then somebody goes, wait a minute. Nobody's recognized me in a while. You know, I, they give out flowers and certificates and awards. And sometimes people's names are even mentioned in public. I haven't been mentioned in a while. Nobody's patted me on the back lately. I don't know if this is what happened, but something happened in these people, Ananias and Sapphira's life, and they took their eyes off of God, and they no longer were so worried about pleasing God, they decided to look for the praise of men. This happens all the time to individuals and to churches that experience God's blessing and experience God's work, that see it happen, it's real. Then they get to a place, they go, you know, we have worked pretty hard. And they forget that it was all by God's grace. And they say, I wonder if anybody else is paying attention. And we stop living to serve God, and we start living to try to get other people's attention and praise. This is an important warning for each and every one of us. It is for me. Because, you know, there's some wonderful things about serving the Lord. It's exciting, and you see God do some wonderful things. But then we can all get to a place where we go, let me just shift back into neutral for a little while. Let me make sure everybody else is paying attention. You say, why are you going off onto all this? Because this is what they were doing here, right? This is why Peter says, You've lied to God. He says there, Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. When it becomes easier to please the people that are sitting around you because you see them every day and you're worried about what they think as opposed to pleasing God, we're in a bad place. Singleness of heart is pleasing to God. But hypocrisy is an abomination in His sight. Now, I'm thankful for God's grace. Because if it weren't for God's grace, we'd probably all be dead here this morning. I'm not standing up here saying, well, I've just never been a hypocrite. 
And I hope you don't ever come here to this place saying, well, I'm here because this is the place where those who have never been hypocrites hang out. I think we've all fallen into this trap in one way or another at some time. It's the natural human response. It's our sinful nature. It's what Satan loves to do. You say, why did God deal so harshly with Ananias and Sapphira? Well, God's under no obligation to continue to show grace. I think he allowed this to be a great warning to that church and to every church since then. There's an interesting parallel between Ananias and Sapphira and the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Because when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, they came to the city of Jericho, the big tall walls. God told them to march around this city. They did it one time each day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. That's always my trivia question. You know, how many times the children of Israel march around Jericho? And people say, seven times. No, it was 13 times. And it fell after the seventh time on the seventh day. Just, you know, one of those silly questions to catch people, see if they're paying attention. I saw some of you counting with your fingers. You were trying to, keep, kind of, trying to figure that out. That's good. You'll need toes for that one, too, because it goes above ten. Anyway, so they march around it. The city falls down. And God had said to the children of Israel, when the city falls, all of the spoils in that city, they all belong to me. Yes. And here's Achan, right? He's one of the guys. Had he hear, heard God's command? Yes, they all heard it. Had he marched around the wall with everybody else? Yep. Had he seen the walls fall? Yep. Kind of like Ananias and Sapphira. They had seen all that God had done, but then they get into the city, and the Bible says he looked over and he saw this Babylonian garment, and he saw this gold and his silver, and he thought, I'm going to take it for myself. And the Bible says he hid it under his tent. Now, this is interesting because there's a parallel word in Joshua 7, verse 1, and Acts 5, 2. The word that, is, that we have here in Acts 5, 2, kept back, is, is the same word that Joshua uses when he says that Achan took it. See, Achan kept back from God what was his. Ananias and Sapphira kept back, not because they had to, but they pretended that they'd given all, and yet they kept back some for themselves. It's interesting to me to see how even from the story of Achan all the way to the story of Ananias and Sapphira, human nature hadn't changed. And you know, from Ananias and Sapphira all the way to today, still hasn't changed. It's the same thing. People living to be seen of others instead of people living to serve their Heavenly Father. They chose to lie to God to gain prestige with other people. We've seen a lot of great things that God was doing in this church. We've even seen some great hypocrisy. I want you to notice finally this morning that God's judgment of sin brings great fear. An awareness, a reverence of who God is and what He's done.
Because it's easy in the Christian life. It's easy in a church, even a place you say, boy, God's here. God's at work. And we've said that a lot lately. And I'm thankful for that. But I think this message is right on time, at least for where I'm at in my spiritual walk and where our church is as well. That we never get to the place where we say, wow, look at all that God's doing. And then think that somehow we're immune to the attacks of Satan. That somehow we're immune to the temptations that come. And it happens in little ways like this, or we would say little. Obviously, they weren't little to God. Well, it's not going to hurt. We're still giving a lot. We want people to think we're giving everything, but nobody has to know. We're keeping back some for ourselves. God knows. God knows. Again, please understand the issue here was not the amount that they gave. The issue was that they presented it as something more than what they were actually doing. People do this not just in what they put in the offering plate. They do this by coming to church. Say, well, I come to church every week. Therefore, everybody's going to think I'm a good person. If you come to church so people will think you're a good person, you're coming for the wrong reasons. You're not only lying to men, you're lying to God. To say, well, you know, when I come to church, I even serve. I, I, I'm involved in the ministries of the church. That's wonderful. But make sure you're doing it for the Lord. Amen. Not to be seen like, well, look at him, look at her, look at what they do around here. Well, they, that's a really great person. Kids, notice that person over there. Be like them. Yes, we love people that are great examples to our children, but the greatest example is Jesus. Anytime we get our eyes on people, they will maybe fail. Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Guess what? That includes you and me this morning. We've heard these things. I don't know about you, but as I look at this, it brings some sobriety to life. Step back and say, whoa. Yes, we want to see God work. Yes, it's exciting that He is working. But we better be careful that we continue to live in one mind, in one soul, with the great power that God gives and never step back and try to take credit for something ourselves. We never get to the place where we keep presenting that we're giving all, but really, we're starting to hedge a little bit. You know, I, I used to work really hard, but I just, I gotta, I gotta have some more time for myself. It's not wrong to rest. It's not wrong to live life in balance. We are commanded to do all those things from the Word of God. But don't present yourself as I'm giving my all and be holding back. Because when you live like that, you're living to be seen of men rather than for the praise of God.